Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And one of those skills is the one we want to focus on today, Tim. In fact, we call it the most important leadership trait you can teach this year, um, and I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, it may not be intuitive or predictable for you listeners, uh, what we're about to talk about, because you might think, well, if you're talking about leadership, you must be talking about communication or strategy or vision. Yeah, All those are important, but I think they come after this fundamental trait or competency that if we don't learn it first, we will eventually diminish, maybe even sabotage our own influence in life. Absolutely. So listeners, I'd like to encourage you to listen to this for yourself first, Yes. but certainly it's going to be something you teach, I'm hoping, to everybody under your care uh, this year. So Andrew, I've got an opening story. Um, I know that's not a shocker to you, but (laughs) listeners, I've got an opening story here. Um, It's a little bit of a parable, but it's such a great picture of why this trait is so important. Then we'll talk about the trait. But um, here's the parable. A young couple uh, recently moved into a new house. So it was the first house they'd bought and they moved in. They were very excited. So while eating breakfast on their very first morning, the young woman in this couple saw her neighbor out in the backyard hanging her wash on the clothesline to dry. Now, that's something we did a lot growing up. I know people don't do it as much today, but she was seeing her neighbor hang the uh, clothes out And uh, she immediately had a judgment. Hmm. She said, oh, that laundry looks dirty. Our neighbor doesn't know how to wash correctly. Maybe she needs a better detergent, uh, this wife said. And her husband kind of looked on, but he didn't really say much. He just let let his wife just kind of talk. Sometimes it's wise to just let your spouse Mm -hmm. do a little talking. But day in and day out, every time her neighbor hung out or washed to dry, this young woman made the same critical remarks. Okay, nothing horrible, but just criticism. Yeah. A month later, the woman was surprised at the breakfast table to look out the window and see a nice, clean set of clothes on the clothesline next door. And she said to her husband, look, she's finally learned how to do her wash correctly. I wonder, I wonder who taught her how to do this. And with that, her husband remarked, well, honey, I got up early this morning and washed our windows. <laughs> So not the laundry that's no, dirty. No, yes. the, the, the laundry wasn't dirty. It was us. Somewhere it was in our house was the problem. Yeah. And bingo. That's, bingo. that's the whole point of the parable. Don't we look outward sometimes and make judgments or criticisms or evaluations on someone else when really our perception is so distorted, so colored, maybe just dirty a little bit. Maybe I need to wash my windows before I look out yes. uh, on the life of someone else. So again, I'm not trying to be corny with you all listeners, but I'm just thinking, what a great picture of us. This is how life works. What we see when observing others depends on the clarity of the window in which we look, yes. through which we look. And I've been guilty numbers of times throughout my life of making a judgment without clear perspective. Uh, my self-awareness was low in that moment. And truth be told, uh, judging a person does not define who they are. It really defines who we are. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is this is what this critical skill is. It's yeah. called self-awareness. Yep. It actually got me thinking, Tim, that uh, when we have a, a new class of interns that comes yeah. into our organization, the very first, or one of the very first books you have them read is Leadership and Self-Deception, yep. right? It's true. Because it's one of the greatest mistakes we can make, especially yeah. early on in our career. It is. And we also have them take an IPSAT, you know, the Identity Profile self-awareness tools. So they're they're getting a read on themselves, and it isn't that we 
think they're going to be judging other people unduly. But isn't it true when you're young, you just, you get a hold of something and you think, I got the tiger by the tail. And then you realize it's a tiger. (laughs) You don't have any control of this at all. You're making snap judgments. So let's talk for a minute about what you just brought up, Andrew, the necessity of self-awareness. Because an adolescent brain is still undeveloped, teens can sometimes level harsh judgments on others failing to recognize their limited perspective. Yeah. Uh, I know this happened when I was a teen, for sure. And, and as we work with teenagers, it's, it's still happening even today. Mm-hmm. So their brain is pruning itself. It's, it's a very interesting process, but it's pruning itself from childhood to adulthood. And of course, adolescence is that in-between stage between being a child and being an adult. Um, but because of this, uh, they've begun to understand realities that were mysteries before. Mm. In fact, they think they do have the tiger by the tail sometimes. And because of this, they feel confident in their newfound discoveries. And yet, my point here is, their angle is influenced by their desires, their emotions, their insecurities, their expectations, and their maturity level. The reasoning capacities of the prefrontal cortex, which is not yet fully developed, are still um, growing. Uh, And it's why teens, this is my favorite picture of this, Andrew, it's why teens assume their parents are so ignorant, but change their opinions of them when they turn 25, you know? Suddenly my dad did know something, you know, because I learned something in college class. And it wasn't that my dad changed, it was my own perception Mm -hmm. of myself and he that changed. That's exactly right. So the less the student knows about a subject, the more confident they tend to become. Yeah. It's quite fascinating, quite yeah, fascinating how that happens. In college, when I got older in college, we used to call it the freshman effect, right? Uh-huh, yeah. Those kids come in within the first couple weeks of college. They're walking around with their heads high yeah. and they're smiling and thinking, yeah. I've learned so much. Yeah. I'm super smart now. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, because you've been through three or four years of school at that point, oh, you just wait until you find out how much you actually don't know. (laughs) That's true. I had a senior pull me aside as a freshman and talk to me about that. Yes. So, yeah, it's so true. But this actually has a psychological term. Okay. It's it's data-driven, and you called it, what did you just call it? The The, freshman freshman effect, effect, yeah. yeah. So the psychological term is the Dunning-Kruger effect. Okay. Okay. So social psychologists David Dunning and Justin Kruger studied this phenomenon you just described, Andrew, in 1999, so over 20 years ago. They tested undergraduates in several categories. And after learning their test scores, researchers asked the students how well they thought they did and how they'd compare to others uh, who also took the test. So how well do you think you did and how do you think you did when compared to others? That was the two big categories, all right? Well, the results were telling, okay, okay, to say the least. The students who scored the lowest in these cognitive tests always assumed they did better than others. So you think they would say, no, I didn't do well. I, I realize I didn't do well. Yeah. Nope. Some self-awareness st- is missing here. <laughs> you can write that down, listeners. Yes. Okay. So, um, and not just by a little, but by a lot. Huh. So the ones that did the poorest scored the lowest in being aware that they didn't do well at all. Okay. Now watch this. Conversely, those who scored higher on the test uh, felt they likely scored lower than average. Huh. So the ones who did well think they didn't do well. The ones that didn't do well thought they did better. And this was probably because the test seemed easy for them, and they assumed it might have been easy for everybody. Interesting. I mean, there's been times I've taken tests and thought, well, that was easy. Maybe it was easy for everybody. And, yeah. And suddenly, oh, I did well, and I was, I was outstanding there. Mm. So the Dunning-Kruger effect is about this weird phenomenon that when you, when you learn something, 
your confidence levels can be impacted by how you feel with, with, with what you did. Mm. So lower intelligent people don't have the skills to recognize their own incompetence. That sounds harsh, but let me just say this again, listeners. Lower intelligence people, ones that just maybe don't have the IQ. Haven't higher, built, yeah, the yeah, intelligence. Yeah, yeah. The, the cognitive skills. So they don't have the skills to recognize their own incompetence or lack of knowledge. Their low self-awareness may be their own worst enemy. Mm. Just like the woman looking at the clothesline thinking she has dirty clothes. No, her clothes are doing well. Your windows aren't doing well. Yeah. Um, so um, only when they begin to learn about a topic more deeply does confidence wane and reality set in. And that's actually a good thing. So we want people to end up confident. We want your kids, teachers, and parents to end up confident. But they need to go through a dip first where I become self-aware. I don't know it all. I'm not as smart as my mom and dad. I don't have, I'm not as awesome as that trophy for participation said I was, okay? Absolutely. I'm, I'm just leveling a little judgment there. Okay. <laughs> so the, um, this gives, gives new meaning to growing pains. Yes. We be, it becomes painful as I discover how much I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a normal process in learning. Yeah. And this is where it's so interesting. Oftentimes the greatest... Um, uh, the greatest recipe we can put together to help a, a young person with low self-awareness yeah. is to keep pushing forward yes, with the information right. to show them how little they might actually know. Yeah. That could be a painful experience on the other side, but it's often the only way that we can kind of get them more where we need them yeah, to be. that's exactly right. I'm thinking of subjects that I learned along the way. At first, when you learn a brand, 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 brand new subject, you have this epiphany, yes, and it's exhilarating. Yes, you, get, you may even get goosebumps. It's so, f- oh my gosh, what I just discovered, but that caused you to go, holy moly, I I know something other. I don't am know. smart. Yeah. yeah. In fact, it's not unlike a little toddler who's just making discoveries for the very first time, uh-huh. and they're sharing with adults. Yes. You're going, yeah, a ball. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But because they discovered it for the first time, they're thinking, I know it all. Yes. And it's just maybe the first discovery about a ball that they picked up. Absolutely. So Dunning and Kruger concluded what is shown in this diagram. We're going to add this link, I think, to our show notes. Yeah. If you we? look in the show notes, we'll actually add a link where you can see the diagram that Tim's about to talk about. Okay. So uh, they, they created a diagram I think that's really helpful because in one fell swoop, they show in a, in a graph what happens to your skill set as you first learn something and then you continue to learn, and it's a dip. So the Dunning-Kruger effect is basically this. When people first learn about a subject, they have a high level of confidence in their knowledge. It's only after learning more that you begin to realize how much you don't know. The more you discover, the more you recognize there's so much more to learn. Hmm. Anytime you master something, we've heard this, the law of 10,000 hours, you get to hour number 9,950, and you're realizing, I've learned a lot, but boy, I see this is an unfathomable and even infinite subject that I may never fully master. Absolutely. And, and like me, I don't know if you feel this way too, when you're introduced at an event that you speak at, they call you an expert and you want to go, no, yeah, I'm still on the journey. Yeah. I, I, I really don't like it. I know it's an affirmation, but I think... I want to get up there and say, actually, I could use your input today. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I do a Q&A, I tell them, I said, I've only shared a little bit about what I This is what I know today. Yeah. I'm still learning. You may have some input for me. And I, number one, I think that's better humility. But number two, it's true. Yes. I'm thinking collectively, we probably know more than I know alone. And ironically, I think it <clears> took <throat> you communicating for 40 years yeah. to probably learn how much you still had left to learn, yeah. which is exactly it's the true. point that's being made yeah. here. So the diagram, if you can imagine it, listeners, and I do want to encourage you to click on the link and find this diagram. 
but it's a, it's, a, it's a graph with a column on the left side going vertically and then a column off to the right going horizontally. But it's this huge leap at the beginning where you tend to think, I know everything about this subject. Yes. Then it begins to dip because you're starting to feel like, oh my gosh, there's, there's more to this than I thought. A further dip that says, I'm never going to understand this. Yes. And then you begin to come up, okay, it's starting to make sense. And then finally you're up a little bit more, but still not as high as you once were where you're really realizing, trust me, it's complicated. Yes. That's wisdom. That's maturity. Yes. May our seniors in high school get that, get to that place. May our seniors in college get to that place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You'll find, and, and maybe the best way to say this is about the first 5% of knowledge in a given subject yeah. just skyrockets yeah. confidence, right? Yeah. It's once you get to 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 and on that, that uh, some of that confidence starts to level out. And it's important to remember I think uh, any of us who have high knowledge in a field, we watch somebody begin to learn. The The thing that would be easy for us to react to is go, oh, you think you know something, just wait, you actually don't know yeah, anything yeah. quite yet. Yeah. But I, like I said, I think the most encouraging thing we can do is continue to push them into knowledge in that field yes. because they're going to learn that lesson themselves if it's you give so them true. enough time. Yeah, I, it's just, I know it's cliche, but the wiser you get and the wiser the person you're talking to, the more you real, they're, they're talking very humbly. Yes. Even though they know more than you because they realize how much they don't. They Absolutely. Don't so I have a great illustration, if you don't mind. Please share it with us. So at Growing Leaders, Andrew, you know, and listeners you may not know, we partner with, with loads of schools. Mm-hmm. So middle schools, high schools, colleges, athletic programs, et cetera. But I remember talking to Dr. Emily Lembeck, who at the time was the superintendent of schools of Marietta City Schools, just north of Atlanta, where we live. And I was taking in the post-test. So we'd done a pre-test and a post-test of our Habitudes program that Marietta City Schools were using. Yeah. And it was a privilege to partner with the school district. But I, I went in with a little fear and trepidation. And the reason for this is I had looked at the post-test and some of the student scores in some major categories had gone down, not up. Not what you were hoping so for. So we taught the Habitudes, you know, and, and these are, you know, virtues and, and leadership uh, qualities that you want to learn, like character and and and, and accountability and discipline mm-hmm. and responsibility, all those virtues that we believe in. And some of the kids, the scores went down. So I thought, I'm about to show this Dr. Lembeck, and she's start. She's probably going to say, "Get out of my office. Yeah. This program didn't work." But as she's looking at it, I see her looking down and nodding at the scores, and then she looks up and says, "Huh, this is a step forward." <laughs> I know. I'm going, did we look at the same results? Yeah. And uh, I wasn't for sure why she said that, so I said, um, excuse me? And she explained that students likely didn't go, uh, didn't go backwards in these competencies at all, but rather grew in their self-awareness. Because the test was self-reporting, right? Yes, that's right. So they thought they were self-disciplined before they learned the habitude. They actually learned, I guess I'm really not mm. as self-disciplined as I thought. I need to grow in this area. Now, the good news is the next year it did go forward, but had to go backwards first. Mm. This was a, a day of rejoicing for me, but also it was a learning time for me to realize here was a very wise educator that realized you may go down before you go up. It's really fascinating if you're one of those nerds like me who's always looking at numbers. We've been doing data collection for years upon years now here at Growing Leaders. One of the things that you'll notice is almost across the board in assessment scores, especially in areas like social development, emotional development, personal discipline, personal management, all those kinds of things, across the board, you'll see those numbers dip drastically in ninth grade. 
ninth yeah, grade. And you have you can have lots of conversations <laughs> with people who study these things, and they'll tell you the same thing. When a student transitions into high school, the overwhelming feeling they all of a sudden get is, oh, in eighth grade, I thought I knew yeah. everything. And now that I'm in high school, I realize I have so much left to learn. Yeah. Um, and so it's actually, you can see it statistically, not just in uh, the survey that we did with Marietta City Schools, but across the board in a major transition like that from eighth grade to ninth so grade. So true. So I'd like to illustrate before we begin to wrap up why this is so absolutely essential, not just a luxury for students, the self-awareness skill set that they need. Um, Andrew, I remember reading as I was just researching some time ago about a Mahout who was working with African elements and working over there in Africa with, with these packs of elephants, these pachyderms, if you will. Uh, he, he noticed they had a very strange habit. Huh. And the habit was... Each time these elephants approached a pond to take a drink, they splashed the water around with their trunks before actually slurping and taking the drink. Hmm. And it was normal. This was, uh, this was the normal pattern. Once in a while, they didn't do it, but most of the time, they'd splash and splash and splash, and then they'd take a drink. And he could not figure out why for, for weeks, but he began to go after this and just say, I'm going to figure out why they do this. And um, his conclusion was very enlightening. He determined that the elephants did not like to see their own reflection in that water mm. when they walked up. And so he, through, through just researching with his colleagues, he saw them splashing around so they wouldn't have to look at themselves. It was a, just a bunch of, you know, waves and splashes. Fascinating. Then they drink. I'm thinking, this is us. Yeah, what an excellent <laughs> metaphor. Yeah, I, I wonder if we just let students go on. God love them, and they're great kids, and they're going to be wonderful adults if we teach them well. But they're splashing on social media, just making a bunch of waves so they don't have to look at who they really are. Mm. And it's not just social media. I shouldn't just throw that under the bus. But we need to make sure we have conversations that are honest and accurate, loving but firm, yes. to say this is where you are and this is who you are. Yes. You have strengths and weaknesses. And the sooner you learn that, the sooner we get through this Dunning-Kruger effect Absolutely. in your life. Yeah. Absolutely. Especially if you're working with young kids, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth grade, like we talked yeah. about. It is so important in those early years that they make space and time, especially in a world full yes. of distraction like we have it, yeah. to make sure they're doing some reflecting. They're looking in the mirror. They're taking stock of their own strengths and gifts and talents and experience yeah. and saying, here's who I really am. This is what I really have to offer the world. Uh, social media will continue to provide opportunity for them to run away yeah. from actually looking in the mirror. We just got to do a really good job of making sure that we uh, that we teach them to do this well. Yeah. So there's an exercise you know about it, growing yeah. leaders. We do it from time to time, and oftentimes it's just extemporaneous. But this is an exercise we do, listeners, to move from splashing to reflecting. Yes. <laughs> so we're not just splashing in our busyness. We don't even look at ourselves. So it's a little game that my friend Jeff Henderson talked to me about years ago called What's It Like to Be on the Other Side of Me? Mm. I'm going to say that again. What's it like to be on the other side of me? So it's a permission-giving game, essentially. It's where two of you sit down. Maybe you get a coffee or a latte or something. With you, it would definitely be a coffee. Definitely a coffee, yep. Um, and, and the application is you both give each other permission to answer that question. So you say, I, I would say to you, Andrew... I give you... And by the way, didn't we just do this? And you weighed in on me. Yeah. 
And of course, I shut the computer off, but but that was a whole <laughs> yeah, other issue. We're still working on that I one. I was splashing. Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It was very good. And you were very gentle, but you were saying, here's something you might want to think about. But when you ask the question, what's it like to be on the other side of me, you give the other person whatever their rank and file is on the team. Yes, which is important. Yeah, to say, well, I'll just tell you, I don't know what I know, but I know I feel this when I'm with you. I feel a little bit um, like you're not, you don't like me or you're, 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 you know, whatever, whatever. But it's so helpful. And when you can build a culture in the teacher's lounge or in the classroom. Yes. Where you give each other permission to do that little game, what's it like to be? So we ask each other these questions. You ask your uh, teammates. Uh-huh. I asked you as one of my teammates. So there were three questions, listeners. Number one, where am I succeeding in this last month? Number two, where am I not doing well? Areas of improvement. Yeah, areas of improvement. And number three, what am I missing? Mm. So in, in, in the first two categories, did I miss anything? Yeah. There were great answers. I, have, I had a page of notes, actually, I took from that that I'm now working on. But it was a good thing, not a bad thing. Absolutely. When you helped me with my And that third question is so crucial yeah. because it's, it's about self-awareness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, these are, I'm recognizing here's where I'm doing well. I'm also going to call it out myself. Yeah. Here's where I think I need to improve. Yeah. But there might be an area either doing well are not doing well that I can't see at all. And so having people around me to answer that question is so important. Well, Tim, thank you so much for leading us. I hope you will continue to find ways to encourage the self-awareness development of the young people that you're leading. Uh, If you're looking for a tool to be able to do this, we have a great one, Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning. You guys know Habitudes are simply images that form leadership habits and attitudes. And one of the first things that you do in Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning in Course 1 is we actually talk about uh, that image, fun house mirror. You might have heard us talk about it. Are you presenting an accurate reflection back or are you like a funhouse mirror in a funhouse seeing a, a warped or distorted reflection? It's a really great opportunity for students to talk about their own self-awareness. That's an SEL, Habitudes for Social Emotional Learning, course one. If you're interested in finding out more information about uh, that course, uh, you can actually check it out, find out that information, schedule a call with a member of our team and even get a free sample of it. Uh, it's Go to growingleaders.com click on Habitudes, and you'll see Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning right there. Uh, As always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars. That gets the word out about what we're doing. You can also literally get the word out. Just uh, pass this podcast along to somebody that you think uh, might see it as valuable. Make sure you let them know. I'm not sending you this because I think your self-awareness is low when you send it to them, but uh, that might be important. Um, if you want to connect with us on social media, we love doing that. Uh, send us a tweet or hop on Facebook. We are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore, pretty much everywhere you are. And lastly, if you've got an idea for this podcast, um, you know, if it's something you want us to chat about, a statistic you saw that you'd like us to comment on, or even somebody that you think we should interview, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Tim, thank you so much for leading us through this very important topic today. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time.